Hello, and thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and the forces that have shaped our leaders in American higher education and learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Felix Matos Rodriguez. Thalo is Chancellor of City University, New York, the first educator of color and the first Latino to hold the post as the Chancellor of a 25 campus system with an enrollment of more than 275 degree seeking students and over 225,000 adult and continuing students. Clearly CUNY is one of the greatest and most extraordinary creations um, in American higher education. Uh, Phalo previously served as president of two colleges in the CUNY system, Queens College and, um, and Hostos Community College. He also held uh, the cabinet level post of secretary of the Department of Family Services in Puerto Rico. Um, he had earned his bachelor's degree in Latin American studies from Yale and his PhD in history from Columbia. I want to acknowledge and, and, and publicly thank you, Phalo, for your leadership and service as a member of the board of AALI, which is the parent organization of academic search. Um, AALI is doing such important work in nurturing the next generation of presidential leaders through its executive leadership program and the mastering the presidential search process. So welcome, uh, Chancellor. Jay, it's great to be with you and, and thank you for this opportunity and thank you also for uh, this uh, really incredibly thoughtful space that you created in the podcast uh, to you know, think about higher ed leadership. So thank you for that. And also delighted uh, in our other um, hat to, to be a great partner for academic search. Well, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you maybe a little bit more about some of that later, but thank you. Um, it is an honor um, uh, to have the chance to engage with colleagues like you and have these conversations. Uh, you know, one of, one of my goals in thinking about this is really to ask leaders to reflect and to think about their own pathways um, with a hope that others might hear something that will lift them up and inspire them. And, and Phalo, I welcome the chance to hear your story and to have you share it with our listeners about the people, the events and opportunities, the doors that opened, or perhaps those that did not, or those that closed that helped forge you, the person and the leader as your journey in higher education unfolded. Well, well, thank you for the 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 opportunity, and and, and again, right? Uh, one um, one is always reticent at times, right, to sort of mention one's own journey because you might think that there might be nothing typical in that experience that others might learn from. Um, in in my case, I think that um, I am really honored, and and clearly from what you said. Um, it is a complex job to be the chancellor of the City University of New York, uh, but it is a, a beautiful and it's an inspiring job. I, uh, a lot of the nice things you said about me in that uh, biographical um, uh, introduction and, and the resume occurred in part because another great public university system, in this case, the University of Puerto Rico, opened the doors of opportunity for my dad and my mom. Uh, my dad 
came from humble beginnings, so did my mom. He was able to become an engineer uh, in Puerto Rico. My mom was going to become a teacher. I came into the scene, so her teaching career was derailed, thanks to me. Um, but uh, that opportunity that public higher education gave to my dad allowed me, for example, to go to a wonderful uh, Jesuit high school, private in Puerto Rico, that shaped uh, profoundly my, my, my life and my beliefs. Um, and something he didn't have the chance to uh, attend Ivy League colleges. And uh, so I've always been very, very aware that even though I work hard uh, for the for the things that I've been able to achieve, uh, but clearly without that opportunity having been open in the past, um, who knows what the story of uh, of Fedo would have been. And, and I'm very thankful that my parents uh, from an early age uh, taught me to be appreciative of that. And it just gives me great joy to be in an institution now uh, where I can look into the students, see my mom and my dad, my dad passed away uh, this January, so I'm still navigating that profound sense of loss. But I uh, see my parents and see that seed of opportunity in all the students here at CUNY. And that is one of the things that makes me wake up in the morning um, and uh, enjoy the many things that are joyful about the job, but then also navigate the things that are not so joyful about the, the work that we do. I love that. And I love that even though you have responsibility for a half a million students annually, that there's still something that is powerful when you look into the eyes of, of a student and a, and a learner, even in the scale of the City University of New York. Um, uh, may that fuel sustain you and lift you higher and higher to fulfill what is an incredibly um, laudatory uh, mission. Well, thank you, Jay. And, and Actually, one of the things, if we can talk about leadership and, and, and reflection, it's something that I thought about when I was in, in the search process for the chancellorship was um, that, and I've been now two years and, and a couple of months into the job, I miss campus life. I mean, I am a university um, uh, creature. I, I love the university space. Um, and one of the things that has been challenging in this new role is that being in the central office, you're not in a campus. You don't have that daily interaction that you would have um, just walking around the campus and, and seeing some of your faculty and some of the staff and some of the students and some of that interaction. So it's something that I have been um, very intentional about making sure that in my schedule, in my routine, that I make sure that I find uh, those spaces because it's one of the things that I enjoy from the job. Uh, we all got energy from different things. I get them from people. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's been one of the, um, the things that has been more difficult to, to adapt. And then particularly with the pandemic being mostly virtual, um, even, even that contact that I have by visiting the campuses became very limited because we had a very, um, uh, you know, we have very few people in our campuses. Uh, well, we are kindred spirits. Um, I will tell you the support team that I was privileged to work with 
could almost read me. They knew when it was time to put me um, into a, 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 an event with a group of students. And I needed, a, I needed a, at least a weekly dosage. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where you, you draw your energy. You're reminded why you're doing the work that you're doing. You know, I wanna go back to maybe 18 months or so ago, you were settling into your post you also were in the midst of some significant, um, you know, campus level transitions, preparing to welcome seven new trans, uh, uh, campus leaders. Uh, yeah, I, I love for you to talk a little bit about um, the work that you invited um, uh, us to do in thinking differently about onboarding and transitioning um, uh, new leaders with seven new leaders, how could there possibly be enough phalo? Um, and so talk a little bit about that. Well, well th thank you again for the question. So, you know, clearly um, I've been joking with folks that I feel that in, in this two years and change that I've been chancellor, I've done two things, COVID and searches. Searches for the team here at the central office and then the, um, 17, 18, I, I lost the count um, sort of presidents that we have been, um, that, that we have named in the two years that I've, been, that I've been here, which is quite unusual in the system. Normally you have maybe two, three presidents per year. That's the normal turnover. And um, so for me, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. One is a reflection on my experience when I was president, right? Uh, I was, blessed to have been in two campuses uh, within the CUNY system, Austos, a community college in Queens, uh, a four-year college. And, and some of the onboarding has to do with some of the things that I felt could have been done uh, better when I, when I came as a president. The idea, for example, of having a mentor or an executive coach, uh, which is so mainstream now is something that I would have benefited in when I was in those roles um, back then. And I decided that I wanted each one of my new presidents to be able to, um, to have that. So they have an independent voice. Uh, I always tell them in a joking way, I said, listen, this is the best of, of all worlds. Somebody else pays for it. That coach doesn't come back telling me the secrets of your conversation. This is really your, your coach, right? And, and, uh, and find a way to keep someone like that in your life as a, as a higher ed leader because it is always good to have an independent voice, somebody who sees on somebody who's experienced uh, that you can go to. And the feedback from the presidents, um, working with, with the mentors um, that that have been identified, right, by, by, by academic search has been really extraordinary. So that's that's one component of, of the interest. The other part is, I always thought that one advantage of the system is that you have a lot of institutions that are similar from which you can learn. And that um, I found it interesting that having that access of models, we were not more intentional about making sure that all the presidents learn from each other uh, and connect, right? Normally when you are the president of an independent campus, you get some of that by attending professional association meetings and some of these spaces where you go talk to other people who are in this line of work and you bounce ideas and you discuss trends. In CUNY, the system has that built up for you 
And we had not leveraged that, I think, to the extent that we should. And it's something that I wanted to uh, jump at, uh, given that I also had this historic opportunity in naming so many of the of the campus presidents. So that's another reason why I thought that investing in the leadership of uh, of all these presidents was important because the system allow for some easy collaboration, for some easy comparisons, for some learning. And, uh, and it's one of the things that we've been trying to leverage uh, more and more as we, as we move forward. So again, reflecting on what I thought I miss when I was here, sharing with the presidents, the new presidents, some of the things that I learned that were, that were beneficial um, uh, about the system. And, and uh, I'm really looking forward to um, now, hopefully that we seem to be leaving some of the pandemic behind um, in this new normal to see how we're all gonna work as, a, as an incredible team on behalf of the residents of the city of New York whom we serve. Fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, you are well known as a champion of accessibility access and student success and inclusion in higher ed. And I know that one of the things that I just know to my core is the imperative for leadership in the academy to much more appropriately reflect the new majority in our country. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about what ways we might significantly increase the numbers of persons of color and women in our leadership ranks, um, if you will, as yeah, in so, language, how do we move the needle? So there's, um, again, each place is different. Um, and, and I think some folks would argue and, and probably with some level of, um, of reason that um, doing that task in a large, very cosmopolitan city like New York is easier to do than if you are a higher leader on a campus that is in a rural area, right? Um, in, in, in a different part of the country. And I think that that needs to be taken into account. Um, that cannot be an excuse. First, exactly right. the, the issue of, of diversity is one of excellence in your team. And there's you know plenty of good business management evidence that diverse team and diverse meant race, gender, ethnicity, background, culture, experience, all of those things, that when you have that in your team, you're gonna be able to serve as a leader better because your team is better. So that, that's gonna mean different things in different parts of the country in terms of what that diversity ought to be. So one cannot have a cookie cutter approach to these things, A. But B, my setting is a public university in an urban area. Uh, and for me, it's very clear that the mission there mandates that you have a group of professionals at the administration, at the faculty, at the staff that reflect the community that you serve. Right? And so when I came, I mean, and I've done it, when I was at, at, at Ostos, I had um, a, a completely diverse uh, uh, cabinet. When I became president of Queens um, in the most diverse borough of New York City, there was not one cabinet member of color. Uh, wow. and, um, and when I left, it was, you know, about half of the team was, um, um, you know, diverse by, by different measures. So, 
And, uh, and when I came to the Central Office at CUNY, for example, we had never had an Asian American vice chancellor. I mean, think about, I mean, in, in New York City, in, in this office with the talent, uh, and we actually brought the, the first one, which uh, tragically passed away because of COVID, an alumni of uh, a great CUNY story, Alan Liu, uh, who was the city, the, the, the city manager in DC for many years, wanted to come back and serve. So very proud that um, we have the most diverse team in my central office administration, first general counsel of color. Um, we had the university provost, president, you know, Jose Luis Cruz, who's now at Arizona State. Uh, Northern Arizona State was with us. So we really, and it was a really phenomenal team. In the presidents, I had the joy that I named the first two Asian American presidents in the CUNY system. Uh, and that was, again, when somebody told me that, I thought that, Go, go check the history books. That cannot happen in, in New York City. The first Dominican-American women, Desi Coco de Filippis, over at Austos Community College. When I think about the diversity, I, I think, for example, for my community colleges, uh, individuals for first-generation co uh, college, yeah. right? Uh, and we have them in Christine Mangino at, at, at Queensboro. Um, so again, that, that diversity, I think when you're a public university, you need to reflect it. And the message that I'm trying to send is um, faculty and staff appointments that have different processes by which you know, people get selected and sometimes those complicate uh, efforts to diversify. I just wanted to set a signal that the talent is there, that the talent will go to the places where they know they're gonna be appreciated yeah, people know where they're going to be appreciated and not treated uh, as an outlier or a token. Yeah. Uh, so if you build that culture and you have that track record, good people will come up to your searches, and yeah. and then you have to bring them and nurture them and and build that team. Uh, and I'm very proud of what we have accomplished here at at uh, at CUNY. More work to be done. More work to be done with the faculty and the staff. Uh, but I wanted to send a clear signal. The things in which I have um, some level of more immediate authority, we're going to bring about change. And there's plenty of great, talented people out there. Um, and you just need to create the, the, the environment to say they're welcome, um, give them the opportunity, uh, and then have everybody continue to open doors for the next generation of groups and individuals that reflect in this case the great diversity of new york city you know i really appreciate the point that that you just made there's plenty of great talent out there i, I, I we're about the same age um, most of my career as in yours i was hearing about um uh, you know the 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 pipeline for talent is dwindling I don't see that at the presidential level. Um, I have not seen it yet. I see incredible talented people and really um, robust pools. Um, and, uh, and, and so there are opportunities for those who want to, uh, uh, to, uh, to be change leaders like you have been. So I appreciate you raising that point. Phelo, tell me what in your mind makes a good leader and by good, I don't mean grade B, I mean virtuous. 
effective, successful? Well, I, I think that you have to be a good fit for the institution that you're leading, right? Uh, yeah. Someone who might be a good leader at a place like CUNY might be a, uh, an awful leader uh, leading General Motors or, or a hospital or, um, or another higher institution, right? If we want to keep it within that. So I think there's something about uh, really a match between your skill set and the institution as really the external face of the university, you need to be someone that sort of embodies that mission and can articulate it and can put it out there to different constituents. So I think that that um, match really matters. Um, and then um, each person brings different ways of, of leading. I think what you have to be cognizant is about your own style. What are the strengths that you bring to the job? What are your blind spots? So you, you know, so you have them um, uh, covered. That you have a willingness to continue to to grow and and and, and be open. And and you know, I'll give you one example. Uh, as we get, hopefully, leaving some of the things of the pandemic behind, um, a strategic planning roadmap process that we were beginning when I came that was derailed by the pandemic. We're we're putting that back on track. Uh, I'm actually trying to identify some resources that can help us take a look at my senior management team and uh, and explore how, how we work together for this past two years and change. What are some things that we need to modify and change structural? I'm also identifying, talking about coaches, bringing somebody to help me individually uh, so I can be more reflective of the work that I have done. Um, so that willingness to continue to grow I think is indispensable in a leader. And in some ways, I'm gonna give a line for, you know, the value of a liberal arts education is really uh, knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know and the help that you need and the kind of balance, going back to your question about diversity, the kind of balance that you need to have in your team uh, to accomplish all the complex things that most universities have to contend with. Uh, thank you. You know, one of the audiences that, that I focus on in thinking about this podcast are our AALI participants. And I, um, I would love for you to share with those folks and others any advice you have for new leaders or those who aspire to leadership. I mean, I, I think that um, A, I hope people do it for the right reasons. And, and, and I mean that uh, because, and, and I mean, we have phenomenal colleagues in this line of work, uh, but I think you and I probably know a couple of people that um, are more in it for the ego than for the, the, the benefit of the students, the benefit of the mission of the institution. Um, and I would just ask people to really think seriously about that um, because- you know, I, um, I, I put it this way. Um, uh, in fact, I begin the mastering the steps of the presidential search process by saying more people want to be president than do president. Yep. So, so for me, really reflect on that, right? Because it is, it is a job that gives you incredible satisfactions, right? I go to bed uh, and I put my head in the pillow and <laughs> I, I tell my, my, my two sons, right? The satisfaction to know that you were part of the transformation of so many lives in so many good things. You know, we, um, 
you know, we use some of the stimulus money to make history and we are canceling the tuition and fees for about 50,000 of our students, $125 million from the last three semesters. The messages we're getting of gratitude, I'm saving them because I mean, you and I also know that I'm gonna need them for the days when that mail that's coming in is not as positive. Uh, but you know you're part of that transformation and you wanna be part of it and that gives you joy, that gives you pride. Um, so I would encourage people to think about that commitment to service when they think about these jobs, because there's also sacrifices that you make in terms of your family life and some other things. Um, and if you're not fulfilled by the mission, I think that over time, um, that's going to come back to haunt you emotionally and personally. No doubt. No doubt. Let me... Um move into what I call a little bit of a lightning round, Phalo, um, where I ask you to share, they're short questions. You can talk as long as you want. <laughs> First one, who's most influenced you? There was a, I went to a Jesuit high school I mentioned previously. He didn't teach me, but I was introduced to him by some of my other Jesuit teachers. Fernando Pico was uh, passed away two years ago. Puerto Rico's most prolific historian. A wonderful man, also worked with uh, individuals who were incarcerated and, and just a, a profound sense of social justice, a great scholar, uh, a great friend. And in many ways, the reason why I became a historian uh, had to do with the influence that, that uh, Fernando and some of the other Jesuits had on me. Love it. Is there a book that's most had the greatest influence on you? I, you know, um, th there is, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a great book, but there's a quote that uh, I always love and it served me well as a historian. And I think it served me well as an administrator. Uh, Italo Calvino, uh, you know, and, and has a book called uh, Invisible Cities. And uh, he has a quote that says, it is not the voice that commands the story. It is the ear. Right? And I always thought for a historian, right, in which you be talking, you want to give voice to people, and, and, and that's part of the way what you do. But if, if that ear is not attentive to wanting to capture those experiences, those voices, in the case of historians, you're going to miss what's really important. Equally, when we serve as administrators, if we're not willing to, to listen, right, um, people say that listening is an act of love, and I believe that. Mm -hmm. um, that is really important. So that that first is it's a it's a story uh, book of 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 dealing with urban matters, right? And I was an urban historian, so the Calvino book uh, connected with me in in that way. But that line has always stuck with me as as uh, as the virtue of 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 listening to be able to address any situation that you might face. I could not agree more. A wise person once said to me got to meet your students at the door. Um, and it was about the importance of listening to those that we try to serve. Um, do you have a fondest memory of your undergraduate experience that you'd share? You know, I, I had uh, a really wonderful experience at, at Yale University. I was reflecting with friends, you and I are of that age, we didn't go do road trips to go. I mean, I'd never been to the school. It was all brochures, uh, not even a virtual tour. Um, but 
I mean, great education there, but I had some really phenomenal friends. Uh, and actually, a small group of our friends have been meeting virtually through the pandemic. Uh, and some I've always been in touch with, others uh, reconnected, and we were remembering those nights in which you stayed overnight, uh, talking about all the different philosophical and, and, and you know, and, and intellectual and personal emotional things, and those long, long conversations into the night, which is one of the luxuries of young age, right? And, and in some ways, um, a residential college. And I had such incredible friends uh, that taught me so much. Um, and um, so th those are the things that, that come, come to mind when I think a little bit about my undergraduate experience. Thank you. I, I love that. Um, and yes, wish that all of our students could uh, could have uh, such experiences. Favorite campus tradition, any place that you've attended or served? So at, at Queens, we had this uh, tradition, it was called the Midnight Breakfast. Uh, and, um, and it was done the night before you switched from the end of classes and the reading period uh, before finals. And, uh, you know, and I guess students get into cramp mode. And um, so we will serve uh, breakfast to the students uh, at, the, at the cafeteria at midnight. And then the libraries would get open 24 seven during that period for studying. And uh, so it was food. And as you know, um, um, undergraduate students and undergraduate students of all ages uh, have an immense appetite so I was amazed at what people could uh, devour at midnight. And then it was a, a, par a party uh, to yeah. get the stress out and get ready to go. It was a really beautiful tradition and um, uh, it was co-sponsored with the student government. And, um, and uh, so it's, it's one that I love. It had the service component. It had the festive yeah. component. It had the, you know, get ready to study for finals component. So many good things engage in one single tradition. Love it. There is nothing like the focus that comes um, uh, as we move into that ritual twice or a year as a finals um, in a semester system. Yeah. If you had not had the curiosity and the intellect and the drive that led you to be a historian and uh, a professor and administrator, what else might you, are there other paths that you might have done well, I, I probably would have been a very unhappy lawyer. Uh, so that's probably not a path that, that uh, uh, we, we want to think much about. It's, it's, it, I was very fortunate that I had the, back then, the, I don't think they exist anymore. The Compton Foundation used to provide a lot of funding yeah. for graduate uh, education. So my, my PhD at Columbia was uh, fully funded by the Compton Foundation, I'll forever be thankful for that opportunity. Had it not been for that, I probably would have gone to law school because I would have done something that I thought that the cost benefit uh, at the end, um, you know, would have been more sizable than being a historian. And um, so, I mean, those were the choices uh, I was thinking about when I was finishing my undergraduate uh, year. So, um, and um, so I probably would have done that. I don't know how happy I would have been. Yeah, no, well, never, 
You know what? You chose well, young man. So, um, hey, one of our traditions as we prepare to wrap up um, uh, here on Leaders on Leadership is we like to ask our guests to share with our listeners the distinctive qualities, the special sauce, the organizational DNA that makes the City University of New York so very special to you and to those you serve. Uh, but, uh, thank you for that question. Again, there, there's um, in in a university system as complex as ours, there's so many things that I could probably point to, but um, I think that I'll cheat and say two things, right? Uh, and I guess you can delete one later from the podcast because at the end, you control technology. But for me, it is the great civic engagement and the great sense of, um, becoming a New Yorker and becoming uh, uh, a part of the US, right? That comes from being in a college where uh, more than half of your students usually are born in a different country or are uh, the children of, of immigrants. And, and that uh, way in which we bring uh, everybody into the US fabric and, and how to engage in, in, in democracy and how to have civic engagement and how to, be a full participant in your community, which is so indispensable, right? For the enjoyment of, of life as we have it here in the United States. Uh, CUNY is such a deep part of that in New York City. So I love that, that, that part of the job. Um, and then the social mobility. I mean, it's been documented, right? Rat Shetty and his study, um, like good, that uh, good old song, uh, Nobody Does It Better. Uh, from the spy who loved me, and there's no better institution collectively at getting individuals to become upwardly mobile than the City University of New York. And uh, and open mobility is not just about a larger paycheck, right? It's about dreams fulfilled for family. It's being able to contribute back to your to your uh, to the rest of your family uh, or or back to your country of origin uh, or, or to do that. It is, it is a chance to then fully participate as a citizen. So that, that spirit of civic engagement and that great tradition of social mobility, um, which has a direct impact on the life of everybody here in New York, I think that the two of the things in CUNY's DNA that I am absolutely in love with um, and, uh, and, and pray every day when I wake up and do my prayers in the morning that uh, I get the, the, the wisdom and the humbleness uh, to be fair, to be just, and to continue to push that, that agenda forward. Wow, that's a, that's a wonderful benediction. As you may recall from the board materials that I provided in January, I noted that um, there was a previous pandemic in the 1950s. It was a CUNY graduate by the name of Jonas Salk. Yes. Who helped to wrestle uh, the scourge of polio. And I can't help but not reflect on the selflessness of refusing to commercialize that, uh, that, that, that technology, that vaccine, but to do it for the service of others. And I think that's just uh, reflects um, um, you know, um, the very best of that immigrant story 
and the immigrant populations of the generations that have followed. Um, uh, and you know, there are so many of those stories. And you are that, you are a wonderful and great leader um, for one of the grand institutions in this country. And thank you. Well, you you're too kind. Thank you for sharing that that incredibly timely story. And I remember you're making the reference at the um, at at the board meeting. And uh, you know, and 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 those are the things. For example, as we reflect now, um, half a million New Yorkers, um, and 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 I think with the, the count now is is um, uh, about four million of the city residents uh, uh, being vaccinated. Um, but half a million of that have been in our campuses, and uh, so for us, it's been all hands on deck. Uh, it's the role of anchor institutions to yeah. come up. Uh, we are deeply committed to be part of the recovery and, and a recovery that is, you know, just and equitable. Yeah. And um, um, so that's, that's what we're focusing as we get ready to reopen. But uh, thank you again for this space, for this opportunity to, to reflect. Uh, by doing that, you also invite all of us to be better at, as leaders, which is something that you do in your academic search hat. So thank you for that service you provide. Um, and, and again, um, delighted to be a partner and, um, and look forward to a time when we can do this podcast uh, live and be able to give each other a hug. I, 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 amen to that. Um, thank you, Phelo. Listeners, we welcome your suggestions and thoughts for leaders we might feature in upcoming segments. You can send those to leadershippodcast at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcast on the academic, web, academic Search website or wherever you find your podcasts. Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transition through leadership development activities that serve current and future generations of leaders in the academy. It has been a joy, a special joy, to host um, Felo Matos Rodriguez, Chancellor of the City University of New York, on our show today. Thank you, Felix, for joining us. A pleasure. Be safe.